Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Wednesday Night Live, coming to you from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. My name is Ron Crawford. I'm the pastor here, and it's wonderful on this very uh, warm Texas Wednesday to reach out to my congregation and uh, also to those of you who are such valued and cherished parts of our Saints Network family. Welcome to another study in the Word. Just a brief announcement uh, before we go into our study of Scripture, which is found in Matthew chapter 11. The uh, fall seminar for our Saints Network is going to be at that uh, same time of September as it always is. Um, let me pull it up here just so I can be precise. September 12th is Tuesday. It's uh, our um, our gathering. It used to be for newcomers, but I guess that's still the case. Um, and then 13th through 16th are the actual seminar dates. And then the 17th Sunday is, uh, of course, a time when a number of our seminar attendees are still here. Uh, this year's title for the fall is going to be Rama, R-A-M-A-H. And this is a very tactical gathering. There are a lot of things that we need to say based upon this very important and regularly ignored um, pivot point of what God wanted and wants for his kingdom among his saints. And um, so just um, know that that is the time frame and uh, that is the, the theme. And we'll look forward to welcoming as many of you who has, can possibly come and be with us uh, during that time. Today, we want to consider something that has been strongly upon my heart since last evening, and that is the words of our Lord Jesus in Matthew 11, beginning at verse 25. We'll read through the end of the chapter. So here we go. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hid these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them unto babes. That is a statement in itself. Um, and I won't really elaborate on it because it should stand out for anybody who really wants to hear. Um, Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father. No man knows the Son but the Father. Neither knows any man the Father save the Son, and he to, to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. That, that segment right there is speaking profound things about sonship and our Heavenly Father and how God reveals things to people. And um, I believe very firmly that this concept in itself of knowing the Father, being true sons of the Father, laboring alongside Jesus, understanding his mysteries, the process by which they are ongoingly discovered, um, is largely lost to the church. And uh, I believe that that's one of the privileges of the saints network as we study the scripture and as we teach the scripture and as we focus upon how God wants to move through his children um, this is a main theme that we have to to reveal why Jesus came reveal that connection between the born again to the Heavenly Father how we function with Jesus, what is happening now in the kingdom and ongoingly and for uh, eternity. This is, uh, 
This is not theoretical. It is something that is active and, again, largely ignored by the church. If you were to speak about sonship to the church, immediately they would recoil to their idea of being born again. And, and they would say that as soon as you're born again, you have all of these things functioning. And that's just simply not true. You're born again as a baby. And you've got to grow just like every other baby grows. And the Lord says in more than just pa this passage that if you want to continue to grow in the Lord, you have to keep becoming like a little child to receive and to grow in every measure of revelation that the Father gives. And this is the hallmark of what it means to be sons. And again, I unequivocally state that this is this statement that I just made is largely unknown and definitely not practiced by most of the church. So and and with that then we shortchange ourselves of the privilege of really walking with Jesus and what he's doing today. And um, so many of our hymnody lessons that's where most Christians learn their doctrine. They learn it through singing hymns. And a lot of those statements that are said in hymns are either introductory or they're, they're not clear. And sometimes they even state things that are just not true. Um, and, but that's what people believe. And so our our walk as saints and as true sons is really reliant upon our relationship with God and um, our willingness to continue to grow and to do the things that his word really says we're supposed to do. And perhaps we seem intolerant by uh, ignorance and by uh, people that would want to recoil into uh, denominational nonsense. Um, if you really read the scripture, you find that Jesus was that way too. You know, look at the times he groaned in his spirit. Look at the times he upbraided his disciples because he already taught them about something and they, they just said idiotic things to him. I mean, it's in the word. Maybe it's not underlined in your scripture. Some of you were teachers. Would you tolerate a student that after you've taught something and it was known by the class, if they recoiled into some measure of uh, an uneducated status in the thing that you'd labored to teach them? If you want to go further in your lesson syllabus, do you want to have to keep going back to first day things? How would you handle that? I mean, the problem with us is we can't call parents. Of course, in, nowadays, it doesn't do any good to call the parents because the parents, and I know this from having a daughter who taught for many years and many other teachers in, in my church, today the ideology of parents is to always side on the, uh, the side of their failing children and point the finger at teachers. This is why so many teachers are leaving the profession. And so I see that same thing in Christendom. And I'm, I'm always refreshed by coming into places that the Lord opens up in other countries where Christians are hungry for the deeper things of the scripture and they want to learn and apply them. So um, what Jesus says here about the Father and knowing the Father, uh, working through the Son and with the Son, and God revealing things, deep things, not to the wise and prudent. What does that mean? Of course you have to be wise. The Bible says that. We need the spirit of wisdom. Prudent is, is being skilled and having a measure of maturity. But what I've learned is, and what hopefully you've learned is, 
that today's meat is going to be milk tomorrow. And you have to keep pressing forward. And, and if you're basing yourself on yesterday's wisdom and yesterday's prudence, you may not be functioning in what God is revealing today. Now, the beauty of the Word of God is it does not contradict himself. I'm, I'm not saying at all that when God does something new that you throw out the old scriptures because it always builds on a line-upon-line fashion. So understand that. But usually when God begins to do something truly new, I'm not talking about a flash in the pan. I'm not talking about um, crowd, crowd thrust of people just chasing after whatever the new thing is. But when God does something truly new and it's based on Scripture and it's there, how often those that are the wise and prudent of yesterday stand against it. We saw that in Jesus' ministry. We saw that in Moses' ministry. We saw that throughout the scriptures. And um, we, we've got to be careful that we become as a little child. But we, we build upon the foundation of what God has revealed through his word and we, we don't ever say that God is finished with that measure of revelation. The Word of God is alive. It's not on life support. It's not on its last legs. The Word of God is breathing. It's alive. And there's always going to be more that God's Word is wanting to show us. And, you know, I remember... How many times, and we're going to get to the meat of the message here in just a minute, how many times over the years when God would show us things in his word and we did our diligence and we searched it out and searched the scriptures and we laid it out, this is what God's doing. Immediately you would hear somebody that went to old brother so-and-so and they would say, that's not scriptural. Why was it not scriptural? Because it wasn't the way old Aunt Nellie did it. Or it wasn't the way that this dude had preached it for years and years and years. And so for them, it's not scriptural because it threatened their doctrinal base. Oh, we've seen that over and over again. And so we have to, we have to keep functioning uh, as sons before the Father, working with Jesus and being as little children who line upon line, precept upon precept, keep growing and developing in God. Because the word of God, not one jot or tittle will ever pass away. It will always be revealing wonderful new things in God. And it will never contradict itself. That's one of the greatest miracles that we'll ever know. You know, I, I pray for young people that come out of seminaries or out of Bible colleges today. Because I remember when I came out from there, I wasn't a prideful person. There were a lot of prideful people around me on who they were. But I was thankful for the education I had. And I have to tell you that a significant number of the things that God has shown us over the past couple of decades, <laughs> all of that knowledge and all of that learning, Heil Geschichte, all of that stuff that I had in seminary did not show me any of these things. Now the work ethic and the study ethic helped me to rightly divide the scripture. But we always have to be careful that we don't just swallow the party line and think that's all God wants to say. There's always going to be more. And it's hidden. You, they're hidden. God hid them. Who... Who hid this stuff from the wise and prudent? The Father does. Well, I would have seen it by now. Really? Are, are, you, a, are you able to, to outwit where God hides things? I don't think so. You better recalibrate that statement, Pop, because you're, not, you're, you're, on, you're on really shallow ice if you say that kind of thing. 
So anyway, um, these past days have been really unique. I mean, on Sunday I talked, this past Sunday I spoke about um, what you do, what you face after high points or specifically after a string of high points of great victories in the Lord, what you face during that downdraft, what you face during that time, and how you should invest yourself in the Lord during that time. We, we talked about that, and that is really a, um, an important lesson that we need to continually learn. But after I spoke that, my goodness, the type of spiritual warfare that I was encountering was unlike anything I had ever felt. Just a miserable type of battle. And these are things that are written about in the scripture. We just don't like to read them, or we think when we read them in Scripture, it's because somebody isn't doing something right. And that's, you want to talk about hubris, that's hubris. That's pridefulness set in stone. I mean, I, I would hear preachers who are always preaching that we should be on top of the world, kicking it and taking names. Um who would say idiotic things like, well, if the Apostle Paul had really understood what faith was, he wouldn't have had to face so many of the things he faced. I've heard people ridicule Job, ridicule Isaiah, ridicule David, ridicule even Moses, not realizing that these people were walking in spiritual pathways with God, facing dynamics that under undergirded spiritual principles that we still function by today. Now, yes, thank God we're in the new covenant. Thank God we have the cross. Thank God we were born again. We have the spirit in an unprecedented measure. Thank God for all those things. But yet there are scriptures that speak about the end times and speak about uh, wrestling against uh, principalities and powers. Um, we just like to tear those out of the scripture, but they're there. So here we have in verse 28, Jesus saying some things that we need to really truly take um, account of in our life today. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come unto me. Um, this is really an invitation. Laboring is dealing with things that are your responsibility. You're taking care of all of them. Um, the word copieo is where we get our word copious from. You can look that up. Copious amounts of work, copious amounts of challenges. It, it's just manifold, many of them. Um, so you, you're investing yourselves and you are heavy laden. Now we'll talk about this word again in a few minutes, but this word fortizo essentially is where we get our word portion from. And this word was used in the maritime uh, areas of the Mediterranean to describe how a, uh, a person who was a merchant with a ship loaded the vessel so that it wouldn't capsize or be overweighted. You, you have things proportionally. They do this today with aircraft. Um, they carefully manage where their the weight of whatever they're putting in the <clears throat> in the storage area of the of the planes we fly in they they have to be balanced properly and they can't overweight so 
what's Jesus saying here is that come unto me all you who are, are faithfully uh, serving in the ways the Father has structured you and what he has created you to carry and convey and how he has things in their proper place and you are carefully managing those um, this can be an arduous task uh, it, it, I don't need to tell you that but rest is a unique word anapausis and oh I know Anna <laughs> apausis they live down the road um, this this word was used to describe um, like a, an army that had just engaged in a big battle or um, somebody that was traveling a long journey and they needed to re refresh and renew themselves so that they could keep going and it 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 also it's like an r and r but it it was not a finish it wasn't an ending it was a respite and i think that we need to see what jesus is truly saying to us here in verse 28 of matthew 11 jesus had just talked about his role as coordinating with the father and dealing with those that would be as sons and functioning with him and alongside him in the present day ministry of Jesus who is always with us he stands with us but he's at the right hand of the father as well praying well supervising that little book of the prophetic uh, praying for you and for me that we would accomplish the will of the father um, we, we need to recognize that when we come to Jesus it's not for him to say oh you poor little thing it's we're coming in we're pulling into port Jesus by saying I have been working on behalf of what you have apportioned me to convey from the Father I'm doing this with you but I'm coming to you so that you can give me that re that measure of recalibration um, and, and there's, there was the idea in the Greek culture that this type of thing in conjunction with their idea of the heavens was like going before their deity and gaining a refreshing so that you could almost become replenished to the degree that you were just beginning again do you believe that the Lord can do this for us now I'm not the one that chose these terms and I'm not the one that chose that the Hellenistic languages and the 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 ideals that form the etymology of these words and I'm not the one that wrote this all of those are divine Jesus wasn't just plucking words out of an AI thesaurus. These are things that had meaning to the people to whom he was speaking. We have been apportioned by God with a responsibility on behalf of the things that the Father is revealing that we as sons are serving him to accomplish according to his mysteries. We're working alongside Jesus at his behest and he is trying his best to develop us into what we are supposed to be before God but when he says to us come to me all you that labor and are heavy laden he's not giving the indication that you're some lumber truck in West Virginia that's rolling down a steep incline and your brakes are about to go out and you need that cutoff ramp that is a safety net that you see so often and it's this way in Colorado and in other places that are mountainous he's really describing what we're supposed to be doing with the Lord with the Father 
It's been apportioned to us. And we are copiously taking responsibility for those things, keeping all things balanced, keeping all things in their place, not coming behind at any point of work or labor. And we're doing this on behalf of the Father. But there's a point where we need to learn to come to him, to Jesus, and find this resetting. He's not taking the thing. Why would he say, you know, you're serving the Father, he's apportioned to you what you're supposed to be doing, and you have a responsibility to, before him, be faithful in those things. You come to me and I'll just get rid of all of that. You poor, poor thing. Why would he say that? But yet, that's what's often preached. Friend, you've been toting that barge and lifting that bale, and Jesus just wants to take that all away from you now. So just come to him, and the world will be yours tonight. You know, that's not in the hymnal. Maybe it's in one of the progressive hymnals. One of those rainbow churches. Um, but, you know, the, the point, though, is, is that it doesn't make any sense in the context, and it certainly doesn't make any sense in what the Father is expecting from us. But it does offer some measure of commune with Jesus to where he can bring encouragement, he can exhort and supernaturally, he can reset. Now, if you're thinking, oh, I've just got too much. It's just too much. You, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. I just can't do this anymore. If, if that's your mindset, if that's your song, then if you come to Jesus, what does a come to Jesus meeting going to be in that case? Hey, okay. Let's just recalibrate. Let's reset. You've got a job to do. This is what you were created for. You are serving the Father. Buck it up and get with it. He's not going to take things away. Now, if you're not going to do your job, if we believe anything regarding the parable of the talents and other things, he will give responsibility to somebody else because the task has to be done. But that's not some noble come here and let me hug you and hold you and kiss you. You've got a job to do. It's God's job. You were created for it. So I think we need to eliminate the griping and complaining. And uh, you know, one of the one of the reasons sometimes uh, people become overburdened is that. They've got a lot of freeloaders on their vessel. They're toting things. They don't have any responsibility toting. They've mismanaged things that God has required for them to manage. Maybe they've not been paying attention. Maybe they've not been doing the things they need to do to stay in commune with him and to stay strong in his word and in prayer. Part of the rest that Jesus wants to give you is to reset you. You don't need somebody to prophesy to you. You just need to do your job. Oh, I don't want to go to him. I mean, he'll, he'll just tell me I need to get back to work. No, I'm telling you to get back to the task that you were created to do, that was given to you by the Father, and that you should be doing as sons. You will be fulfilled in that. But if you've convinced yourself that somehow God has put one over on you, that he's given you more than you can bear, and that uh, maybe you've loaded your boat down with a bunch of family nonsense that you have no business taking on, what do you think Jesus is going to tell you? So the point for rest here is that we gain a supernatural reset, but the task is still in front of us. If you take that pausis and use, uh, look at the scriptures that, that add other prepositions in the New Testament, you find that it 
that it always carries this same measure of responsibility and duty. Uh, but that's, I think, what we should believe the Lord in. Now, um, it's all a matter of perspective, and it's all a matter of serving in accordance with what God has created us to do. Now, again, if you've convinced yourself that somebody else has something you would rather be doing, and that's a problem, too. That's a what is that to thee coming to you from Jesus. Oh, you know, if I just had what they had, my life would be so much easier. What is that to thee? <laughs> Boy, you were expecting me to speak some real salve for the soul today, weren't you? Let's keep going. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. There's that word rest again. Guess what? It's the same anapausis. That woman gets around. What's he saying here? You are equally yoked with the Lord. It's not one of those beach poems where I complained to the Lord about how the task was and then he showed me the footprints and there were only one set of footprints and said that was the time I carried you. Well, that sounds good. You can hear the waves splashing on the beach right now, can't you? For all you Floridians. Well, you're yoked with Jesus and from what little I know about yoking two animals side by side, if it is a side by side, I'm pretty sure it is. If one's not carrying its weight, you just go around in circles. <laughs> so we're working alongside Jesus. You realize that, right? And learn of me. This word learn is very, very powerful. Because if you extrapolate it out, you discover that this is the learning through doing. It's the learning through observing, paying attention to what you're doing. The root of discipleship is here. It's not just learning about something book learning even though we need that it's the learning through doing and from this word comes mathematics you know you can memorize your your uh, multiplication and division tables and your addition tables and other theorems but when you're trying to figure out something you've got to You've got to do the math. You know that phrase. You've got to work it out. And so, learn of me is the Lord saying, look, we're in this together. Not only am I wanting to give you a refreshing, a recalibrating for the task, but I want you to learn what I'm doing. And then he goes on from here. I am meek and lowly in heart. What have we said? You know what I'm going to say about meekness. Meekness is not weakness. It's learning how to control and utilize the power you have. Lowly is interesting because it is doing your job but in a way that is not um, necessarily needing to be seen by everybody. This is difficult for some people. If they don't get a footnote for what they've done or said, no matter when they said it, they're most displeased. Um, I've heard it said that the best leaders are those that when there's success, you, you can look and see this person made it possible, but they're not up front wanting accolades. Um, this word was used to describe um, a predator bird in the ancient days that wasn't 
like a raptor or a, a falcon or an eagle that swooped down from high above. This type of bird was every bit as deadly, but it flew low to the ground and it would swoop in. I don't remember the name of this bird, but that that's where this word lowly comes from. And it's in heart. It's the steering wheel of life. So if you're yoked with Jesus, you should be learning from the things that you are experiencing with him. Hopefully you're learning. Hopefully you're not those knotheads that keep having to retake the same course over and over again because you didn't pay attention. Um, in heart, how does he do it? How does he manage the pathway? Meekness, which is submission to the task, not trying to do your th things your way or to get it done too fast or to be overbearing. And you do it in a way that is humble. It, it, the, lo the lowly is humility, yes, but it's also in a way that it's kind of like the meekness of humility because it was definitely describing the majesty of birds that we admire. Who doesn't admire the eagle or the, the, the falcon, the, that, that raptor? Who doesn't admire that? But to say, Jesus, to say that I'm like this other potent and effective bird of prey that gets the job done, but there's no majestic depiction of, you know, the American eagle flying in the sky or the, or the Napoleonic eagle that triumphs or even the Mexican eagle with the snake in its talons. I'm the one that gets it done and nobody may be even able to see it, but the job is done. My heart is to be meek and lowly. Neither one of those is inefficient or weak. They're committed to the task. They want to get the job done. And what is that job? If you're yoked, you're serving. And who are you serving? What did Jesus just talk about? The Father. And whatever it is that he is ongoingly revealing. So this is Jesus. He says, okay, um, you, you've been given your job. You've been apportioned. Uh, you, you have a responsibility for every copious part of that. I'm, uh, if you come to me when it gets rough, uh, I'm going to evaluate. Are you toting more than what your manifest says you should? Are you, um, are you forgetful of certain areas of your responsibility? Or are you focusing too much on one and not on the other? The coming to Jesus for rest might initially be, all right, you don't need this, get rid of this, get rid of this. It reminds me of a war movie I saw one time about Vietnam and uh, one of the new recruits came in and they had this backpack full of stuff and they were going out on patrol and, the, and the, the sergeant that was over the mission of that platoon went and said, okay, here, now, you don't need this, you don't need this. He starts yanking stuff out and throwing it aside. Um, you'll wear yourself out carrying that, you're not gonna need it out there. And one of the first things the Lord's gonna do to give you rest is probably to check your inventory, check your manifest. You don't need this here. Why are you doing this? Why aren't you doing this? We may not like that. We may want a shoulder to cry on and a poor pity you kind of a talk with you. Have a little talk with Jesus. Tell him all about our troubles. He will hear our faintest cry. Sing with me, friend. And he will answer by and by. See a little prayer wheel turning and you know a little fire is burning. Have a little talk with Jesus makes it right. Oh, that's a good old Southern gospel tune. Well, that little talk with Jesus may have more to do about what, what in the world are you doing and why aren't you doing what you're supposed to do? <laughs> oh, you come to Jesus. He's going to give you rest. 
He's not taking, if he's taking away your responsibilities, divine responsibilities, you're in a peck of trouble. If he's taking away things you have no business doing, or if your eyes are over here and not on the main thing, he's going to recalibrate those eyes. But in the real sense, if you're doing what you're supposed to do, you're serving the Lord, you, you're faithful, and you're just undergoing unusual attack from the enemy, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult road, come to him. Now, come unto me. If you're yoked with Jesus, you shouldn't have very far to go to come to him, <laughs> right? If you're yoked with him, you're, you should be balanced with the Lord. You're, you're serving with him. So what's that mean? You're yoked with Jesus and you're saying, oh, Jesus, take away this stuff on my side of the yoke. What would that mean? He's got to take it all on him and then just go in circles. Do you ever actually think about the scriptures before you start quoting them and wondering why things aren't better? You've, you've got to do what the Father has given you to do. You were made for this. That's where you'll be happiest. You'll find rest, here he says, in verse 29, you'll find rest in your souls. Now, Earlier in this verse, he says, what am I doing in my heart? Now he says, it's your souls that he's wanting to touch. S-O-U-L-S, not S-O-L-E-S. Boy, my dogs are barking. I need some rest. It's these sandals. Should have broke them in before I started pulling this yoke. Now, this is S-O-U-L-S, which speaks about your perceptions, whether you're remembering things properly, whether your perspective is right, whether your emotions have hijacked you, started convincing you of things that are not so and convincing you that things that are so aren't right. You'll find rest in your souls. As long as we know where we're supposed to be, as long as we know we're doing what God has given us to do, as long as we know that Jesus is with us, and as long as we know that the challenges that we're facing are not because we're sinning, but because what we're doing with the Lord is what the Father has put before us to do, our mind will be okay. It doesn't mean you'll like everything. But once you start thinking wrongful thoughts and your perspective is screwy, whew. so Jesus says in verse 28, this anapausis is going to come about your, your portion and about your responsibility for that portion. In the next verse, it says this anapausis is going to come to how you're thinking about that. And you've got to keep your heart right and be committed in your strengths and committed in your humility because that's what Jesus is doing. You're yoked with him. How is he steering? That's what the heart does. And your soul better get in line. But let's keep looking. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Wow, this is this is this is great. This this is great. Now, if you were to see this word easy, crestos. Um, study it a little bit. We've equated this with Christos. And I just want to tell you that there is a lot of seminarian debate about 
the connection between these words. Why is that? You'll have those who say unequivocally that Christos is the messianic calling and Christos means something else. And they'll argue that. But then if you look to see what Christos really meant in the Greek culture and undoubtedly why Jesus used it here, Christos, the Messiah, the Christ, which we are all supposed to be if you're Christ-like, right? Joint heirs with Christ, Christian. That is a son before the father has been given a job to do by the father and is doing it obediently under his anointing. That's what Christ really means for us. Yes, the one true Christ. But each of us should know the Father and should be serving as sons under his anointing. That's how you're Christ-like. Krestos was interesting in the Greek culture because it was used to describe in their culture. Now, I'm not advocating this. Demigods, half God, half man those that did exploits on behalf of Olympus, those that were functioning in power on behalf of things outside of this life. That's what Krestos meant. So can we say that Jesus' yoke being Krestos is that he fully man, fully God, who served as a son and made possible for you and I to serve as sons, that that yoke for you requires you doing the will of God, you serving as a son, you serving in Christ-like fashion, you being mighty men and women on behalf of eternity. Could we say that? We should say it because Jesus chose this word. And then there are, I know there are naysayers. Well, you know what? You didn't really study very much because Jesus spoke Aramaic. Did he now? Did he also speak Hebrew? Yes. Did he also speak Greek? Of course he did. He and Joseph, it's not like here in, in Dallas, if you hire a, a contractor some of the guys that come into your work aren't going to speak any English, but somebody there speaks English. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to tell them what to do. That's just the way it is. When I was growing up, we had a lot of Eastern Europeans and Italians. Those were, those were our, when I was growing up, those were our minorities. And the work crews had to be this percentage of Italian or Eastern European. Can you believe that? Set it back 75 years. It was the Irish. You had to have this many Irish. The police department had to be populated by Irishmen, which is where we get the paddy wagon. Because those people, what do you mean those people, had to d understand a lot of the things that were happening in the community and they had to understand um, what what was uh, what these people were saying in those those ancient languages otherwise there could be mistreatment and misunderstanding and the job wouldn't be done right so yeah Jesus spoke Aramaic he also spoke Hebrew and he also spoke Greek so let's not go down that trail. Some people say, well, they spoke Aramaic back then, so you can't really say that the Greek is really right. Oh, good grief. Just give me a break with that. This is the word of God that has been preserved for us. This author, the divine author, knew what Christos meant. And he's saying, you're going to be yoked with me you're going to do supernatural things on behalf of God. You're going to be demonstrating sonship, the right hand of the throne of God,
the powers of the world to come, you're going to be doing that now. You're not doing it in our own strength, and you're not doing, doing it according to man's devices. So my yoke is this. What is Jesus' yoke? Well, here he's telling you what his yoke is. He is the risen Son of God, fully man, fully God, gave himself for us, made possible this walk. And if you're going to be on his yoke, you're going to be doing supernatural service to the Father. The kingdom come, will be done on earth as it is in heaven, filled with the Spirit, serving alongside the angelic, that's Christos. And it very clearly would indicate that if you're Christ-like, you should be doing Christos duties and exploits. So the base of that argument for somebody who doesn't really believe what I just said would be that Christos and Christos are not at all linked. But for somebody who believes in the power of the Spirit, that the Word of God is true, that we're serving the Lord in these days, and that we really are to be as sons serving at the right hand of the Father, then Christos and Christos do work hand in hand. So the very Christ is saying, if you're going to be serving my yoke, let me tell you what my yoke is. It's Christos. And what else? My burden Here's our word again, portion. Here it's the word again. Well, what are you talking about, Pastor? Well, <laughs> all you that labor and are heavy laden, there's the same word, fortizo. It's from which portion comes. Here it is. It, here's the root of it, fortion. It, it's there. My portion is what? Elaphros. Now, here we go again. All of you seminarians who will hear people that don't really believe in the power of the Spirit. They might talk about it, but they don't really believe it. It's all a social gospel. It's all kumbaya, strum and come kind of a live uh, a service. As long as the bonfire is big enough and the waves are just right, then we can have church. Elaphros and elactose operate in a similar way as Christos and Christos do. My burden is light. Well, elaphros means that you're not really given more than you were created to be. And you're, you're going to be able to do it. It's not going to be overbearing. But the extension of it is, and if you study and extrapolate this, you will find that this is our, this is um, moving right along with our old friend uh, Elaxitost, which is the least. Uh, you, you want to become as nothing, friend of the bridegroom, or to be diminished so that Christ might increase. Um, this, this word, um, you find the least. Whoever therefore shall break one of the least commandments is guilty of all of them. Th there is a really interesting study here um, of what was, was in a broader way indicated when John the Baptist was saying, I've got to decrease so that he could increase. Um, and, and again, we don't have time for it today because I've already exhausted your hour of tolerance. Um, but do, do an extended look at that. You'll find that Bethlehem was described by this word. Um, you'll find that the helm of a ship, which was commensurate with the tongue in, in the book of James, governs the whole boat. 
the, the massive ship. Uh, it's the small thing that governs. So the burden, the portion is light, really means a devotion to duty, to doing whatever is necessary to get the job done. Um, my yoke is Christos. My burden is to do what I'm called to do and to do it um, because this is what my job is. Wow. What a statement from Jesus. I apologize. I took too long at the beginning of this broadcast. I was really going to work this Alakistos uh, passage coming off of Elaphros. But they, they do work side by side, just as Christos and Christos do. And undoubtedly, Jesus knew that. So if, if you're going to prepare the way of the Lord, how better can you prepare the way of the Lord than to be yoked with Jesus as you serve the Father's will and his ongoing mystery that's been hidden you're uncovering it. So here's here's uh, here's the essence of what I think we need to do today. Some of you, maybe like me, uh, are kind of weary. This is a lot of work we're responsible to do, and the task ahead is wonderful. But it's it's not small. We have irons and a lot of fires our portion uh, has grown many cities have been given to us as saints many nations we have different responsibilities in each of them on the other hand we've got resistance it's it's keeping the balance properly and we, we need to come to the Lord and believe for the supernatural resetting. Part of that is going to be an evaluation of how our inventory is stacked. Part of it is going to be a rest for our souls so we're not thinking improperly. We're not believing the enemy's lies. You wouldn't believe, well maybe you would, the things that have been being said to me spiritually and I'm not saying oh woe is me but whose report are you going to believe gosh <laughs> this extrapolates out into a lot of ways what are you thinking what are you believing if you can believe all things are possible Seems I read that somewhere whether it was in Hebrew or Aramaic or Greek we'll just have to ask the Lord that's a joke um, some of you are being told that you're too old or that your limitations are so stringent that you just can't do the work or you just don't know the demands upon me and my family now. Well, I knew you way back when you made the commitment in the first place and you laid down a lot of things. Of course, then the enemy is saying and some of the people you deal with well because you do that that's anytime you hear somebody blame their failures on you you just think back to Adam and Eve this woman you gave me she's the one and remember Moses and remember Samuel remember Jesus remember David you know the challenges that are put in front of us are never an excuse for failure. People will want to use their excuses. I know some of you, I've heard some things that you've told me and I've heard some things in the spirit realm that the enemy's trying to push over on you. And some of the people that are blaming their failures on you, I know those people. You know them too. They don't take responsibility for the nonsense they've done. So they want to find somebody to blame it on. It's always somebody else's fault. Because it's all about them. 
You know it. Stop listening to the lies. You need rest for your soul? Well, the Lord is more than happy to give you a big dollop of that regarding them. It's not that you're uncaring. It's just that what's true and what's a lie? Ain't nobody got time for those lies. That's why Jesus said so often, can you believe? Will you believe? Isaiah said, whose report will you believe? That's all a product of the soul. You need a resetting. You need a recalibrating. So if the Lord is going to look at your portion and your copious responsibility for your portion, your apportionment, you come to him and he's going to give a reset. Part of that we need to know is he's not taking away what God's given you to be and to do. Secondly, are you toting more stuff than you're supposed to be? Have you taken on somebody else's duties? Have you, have you started doing other people's work and they're just taking advantage of you in the name of mom or grandma? Oh, I'm just saying it. Do your job. And if you go to Jesus, he's going to say, here's what the Father has given you to do. This is your portion. You've got to manage it. And that's the first thing that's going to happen. You got, you're toting too much? Well, get rid of some of that. In the old Will Smith song, I'll climb this mountain with my hands wide open. You've got to do it. But there is a supernatural capacity that the Lord has if you're doing those two things properly to give you a refreshing. I need that. But then you also need this for your soul. Are you thinking wrongly? Are you believing lies? Have you convinced yourself of things that are not true? Oh, it's easy to do that. Sometimes your iniquities and your oh, your oh poor pity me will rise up and take command of your soul. The Lord wants to reset. You got to let him. These are important things to know. You, you've got to recognize that he's meek and lowly. Those are important things to know. His yoke is crestos. That's important to know. His burden, that portion, is, is basically going to be you buckle down and do what you're supposed to do and the glory will come. This is a wonderful passage. I need it. I dare say you do too. Whether you want it or not is the question. Why wouldn't somebody want it? You got a few minutes? Sometimes the enemy can convince us that it's time for us to back off. Oh yeah, we still want to serve the Lord and love Him. Then now it's time for me to do other things. It's my right to do them. No, it's not. You never have rights to not do what the Father has put you here to do. Oh, but if I do that, then I'll miss out on this. No, you won't. Who says that? Your soul? Other people's opinions? See, sometimes we gain victory in our own soul, but we let other people's souls come in and commandeer us. And sometimes those souls are from little sweethearts that we know and love. All right, I've gone into meddling now. It's too hot here in Texas for that. God bless all of you. Thanks for joining today. Um, go to the Lord and ask Him for rest and for rest in our souls. Apply these things. Oh, Pastor, I wish you'd give me an outline so I could learn them. You have your Bible. We just were in one passage of Scripture. If you have the Strong's Concordance, you can look these up for yourself. And guess what? 
you can go back and listen to this again. Am I talking down to people? No, I'm not. I'm just putting a demand on students. <laughs> you have need to be teaching others the deep things of the Lord and the oracles of the Lord. This is prayer and Bible study. Study the scripture. Make it part of you. See it in your own Bible. It's here. Father, I bless these folks. I thank you for them. Give us rest. Help us to be a good yoke partner for you. I pray that you'll provide for whatever your people need. Release healing and provision to every saint. Help us in these days to be triumphant in your work and for you. And for this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless all of you. Thanks for joining in. We'll see you again soon. May God bless you.